Good evening. Welcome. I'm so glad to be with you guys tonight. It's my privilege to speak to you about what the Lord has been sharing with me. Here's what we're going to do. If it's okay, we're going to start by reading some scripture together. And we're going to do this. This is old school, but we're going to stand together to honor the word of the Lord. So would you stand with me real quick? We're going to read it in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You guys can grab a seat. So what does this mean? Why is this important for us today? What does it mean to love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind? The easiest way to break this down and to understand it is to look at some synonyms for those three words. So that first word, heart, a a synonym or another word for heart could be your passion, to love God with all of your passion. A synonym for the second word, soul, could be your personality, to love God with all of the personality that he's gifted you with. And thirdly, a synonym for mind would be the word thoughts, to love God with all of your thoughts. So let's put it together. It sounds like this. We should love the Lord our God with all of our passion, with all of our God-given personality, and with all of our thoughts. If we look at these three separately, I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would say that our mind or our thoughts are often given the least importance. We spend the least amount of time dwelling on them. And thus, they're, least, uh, they're taken the least seriously. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to focus on our thoughts. We're going to look at the fact that it's possible to think rightly about God. A hero of mine, some of you have met him, some of you know him, you've got to hear him speak. His name is Eli Stewart. Now, Eli Stewart, uh, in my books, is a genius. Uh, If you went to Salt last year, you would have gotten to hear him preach. Uh, And he was a pastor at Sam Houston State, where I came from. He's now the campus pastor at A&M. But he's a brilliant man, and he taught me a trick. Okay, he taught me a trick. He taught me how to see into the future. So here's what we're going to do tonight. What would you say if I told you I can tell you what your life will be like in 10 years? I can tell you what your life will be like in 10 years. How about this? Seth, you ready? Do you want me to tell you what your life is going to be like in 10 years? Yes or no? No, No, you don't want it? Okay, you want it? It's okay. I'm I'm going to tell you in front of everybody, right? Okay. Raise your hand if I asked you that, if you would want to know what your future was like, what you're going to be like in 10 years. And then how many of us would say, I don't know, I accept it. I don't know if I want to know that. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. All right, you ready, Seth? In 10 years, you're going to be exactly like the music that you listen to. In other words, the entertainment that you consume. You're going to be exactly like the friends that you hang out with. And more importantly, you're going to be exactly like the thoughts that you think about God. Your thoughts about God influence every part of who you are. The Bible says it in Proverbs. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We know this, that you are here, you are today, where your thoughts about God have brought you. And you will be tomorrow where your thoughts about God will take you. You are today where your thoughts about God have brought you. And you will be tomorrow where your thoughts about God will take you. We see from this that our thoughts really do matter. They're truly important. 
That's why we spend so much time talking about this. If you were here in the summer, you would have heard us talk. Uh, we had a series of, about the three R's, the first of which is a real devotional life. Nestor did an incredible job talking about an aspect of that prayer. And tonight we're going to continue to talk about having a thought life. It's another part of having a real devotional life. Ryan as well has talked and mentioned having a mind in love with God. We talk about it in small group. We talk about it at resource, at leadership. We're going to continue to talk about this because it's of the utmost importance. Like we said, it affects every part of who we are. So tonight we're going to look at why, why does it matter? Why do our thoughts matter and what is at stake? Before we do that, would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Lord, we're grateful that we get to come together this evening and worship you and learn more about who you are. Jesus, I pray that tonight that you would reveal yourselves to those who are hungry to know you. We are grateful that you're going to be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. So we know this, that our actions are a result of our thoughts. Our actions are a result of our thoughts. Ryan talked about that this summer. This is evident in one of my favorite movies of all time, and that is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Raise your hand if, you have, if you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay, it's, that's a pretty good bit. Okay, if you don't know what, anything about Indiana Jones, Indy, there you go, there's Indy and his father, played like by Sean Connery in the film. If you don't know anything about Indiana Jones, he's both a brilliant archaeologist and a scholar. He teaches archaeology, and he understands the history behind the objects that he's trying to find and to save. But he's also like the coolest guy in the world at the same time. It's this dichotomy that doesn't really exist in real life. He's both the genius and he's super cool. He's got a whip and a gun and a hat and a leather jacket and it's Harrison Ford and it's impossible for him to not be cool. And so he goes uh, on so many adventures trying to find these lost objects of archaeology. And in this movie, the object they're trying to find uh, is the Holy Grail. So for his whole life, Indy's father, Sean Connery, has been searching for the Holy Grail. In other words, the cup, they say, uh, was used to catch the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so it's this myth, this legend, that if you could find this cup, that you could have eternal life. Now, I'm going to spoil the movie a little bit, but it came out in 1989. And that means that maybe three people in this room were alive. Okay? So it was a long... There you go. Scroggins was alive. Yep. Josh. So it was a long time ago, so I think it's okay. So we follow Indy on this adventure with his father to find the Holy Grail. It culminates in Indiana having to, to traverse three different tests in order to prove that he's worthy to take the Grail. Eventually, it leads him to this room. I think we have a picture of it, where there's an old knight who's been there guarding the Grail for thousands of years. And behind him, you can see there's a, a shelf or a table that's full of grail-like objects, cups and chalices, and nobody knows which one is the real grail. So he offers a choice to Indiana, and of course, the Nazis, who are the bad guys of the film, who are there. And he offers the choice to the Nazis first, and he says, choose a cup, and if it's actually the holy grail, you'll take it, and you'll drink of the water, and you'll have eternal life. So they're offered a choice. This is like the most frustrating part of the movie to me. The guy that's in charge gives his assistant uh, the opportunity to choose. She takes like two seconds and doesn't even think about it. She's like, that's got to be it. It's that one. And it's, of course, in her mind, Jesus was a king. So it's the most ornate and beautiful of the cups. She gives it to him. He doesn't think about it twice. He takes it. He fills it with water and drinks it. 
At first, we think it's going to turn out okay. He chose correctly. But then all of a sudden, in true 1989 movie fashion, he starts to dissolve before our very eyes. He turns to dust as he ages. And she's losing her mind because he's, like, grabbing her and as he's turning to dust. But the whole time, this, this knight is sitting there, like, unfazed. Doesn't move. No signs of uh, showing any kind of uh, excitement at all. She's losing her mind. And he quietly looks at them and he says, this line, he chose... Poorly. He chose poorly. Indy, of course, is given the chance to choose. Uh, in the movie, they, they claim that he studied the Bible as a child, so of course he knew Jesus is a carpenter, so he picks the lowly cup of a carpenter, which turns out to be the grail. It's funny to me that Indy claims to have knowledge of the Bible, yet he doesn't really live like he knows anything about Jesus. But here's what we see. We see that so often in life, like the Nazi it's possible to choose poorly. Scroggins talked about this last week. Sin is selfishly choosing for our own highest good over the highest good of those around us and ultimately the highest good of God and his kingdom. Now here's where it connects. We see that poor choices are most easily noticed through our actions, but we know that they begin with our thoughts. It was easy to see because of the actions that he took that the Nazi chose incorrectly, that he didn't really put any thought into which cup he thought was actually the grill. And the consequences were evident because of his actions, but it started in his mind. A brilliant author named Francis Schaeffer says it this way. He says, true spirituality begins not with acting rightly, but with thinking rightly. Not with acting rightly, but with thinking rightly. Another brilliant author and a man you should read if you love Bible commentary. He's written some of the most brilliant Bible commentary ever. I someday hope to have a full set. His name is Alexander McLaren. Now, Alexander McLaren says that my acts are neither more nor less than the reverberation and afterclap of my thoughts. Now, these two men are just echoing the truth that they've found in the Bible. We see it in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And after this, Jesus goes on so many times to tell us that our actions always, always trace back to our thoughts. That the sin and selfishness takes root in our thought life. We have a phrase that defines what it means to think rightly about God. In other words, the opposite of that. We call it having a mind in love with God. Now we, we get this from Romans. And where Paul is writing in Romans chapter 12 verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but, here it is, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So there it is right there. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In other words, we need to have a mind that's in love with God. What does this mean for us? It's important. It means that it is possible to think about anything and everything in a consistently Christian or godly way, in a manner that is shaped, directed, and restrained by the truth 
of God's word and his Holy Spirit. We're going to look in a minute about practically what this looks like to cultivate a mind in love with God. But I think first we need to ask ourselves, what is at stake? What is at stake if we do not have a mind in love with God? The first thing that's at stake is our walk with God, our individual walk with God. Unfortunately, I think many people in our generation have been fooled into thinking that truth is relative. They say there's no absolute or overlying truth. In other words, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. As long as you don't mess with my truth, I'll leave your truth alone and we can happily, as they would say, coexist. You've probably seen the bumper sticker. But here's the trick. This isn't a new idea. This isn't, uh, millennials aren't smart enough to come up with something like this. I include myself in that. This is a dangerous idea that's permeated all of human history. Uh, Ecclesiastes says it this way, there's nothing new under the sun. Over centuries and centuries, man has this dangerous thought that if only they could ignore God's truth and create their own. This leads us to a a place that Ryan's going to hate, but here we go. I think he knows where I'm going. Some of you are laughing. Ryan's only been here for two months, and yet a lot of you know what I'm about to say. Ryan hates this phrase, to each their own. He's literally cringing right now. Why? Why is he cringing? It seems innocent enough. And it's cute when it's used uh, to reference like our love for coffee. Say, you like your coffee with cream. I like my coffee without cream or black. In real life, I don't like coffee at all. But it's cute, right? It's fine. You can love your coffee your way. I'll love my coffee my way and we'll go our separate ways. But so quickly, this cute idea of relative truth becomes dangerous. It was this phrase that the Nazis posted above the gate at the Buchenwald concentration camp. They wrote it in German, but they they stole it from the Romans. And the Romans stole it from the Greeks, of course. But in Latin of the Romans, it says, suum cuique, meaning to each their own, or you could also translate it, to each what he deserves. Now, the Nazis meant this as a slight to the Jews. As the, the Jews were hoarded into the camp, they wanted them to see... And to to think that this is what they deserved. But here's what happens is the Nazis failed to account for the consequences of their own sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, the Germans had written their their own uh, future on their gate without them knowing it. They were going to get what they deserved. It's true for our lives as well. The Bible says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our selfish thoughts... And ideas, as Scroggins talked about last week, always have consequences. So here's where we're going. There's only one way to reverse the damage that our sin is doing. And that is to go to the source of absolute truth. If you were asleep, now's the time to wake up. If you're going to remember anything from this, it is this right here. Write it down. Truth is not uh, an ethereal idea. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Christianity is meant to be a relationship with him. That is why our walk with God is at stake. If we don't know Jesus, then there's no way that we can walk with him. This is true of any relationship. It's so simple, but it's so important. 
If I claim that we're friends, but I never spend time with you, I don't ask you about the things that you care about, that you love, that you desire for your future, if I don't ever take time to get to know you, then eventually our relationship is going to crumble. This is true of our walk with Jesus. But that means that the opposite is also true. The more we get to know Jesus, the easier it becomes to trust him with every part of ourselves. This is where we're going next week. Scroggins is going to talk about this. But it also becomes easier to walk with him all of the days of our lives. The more we get to know him, the more we realize that he is good and perfect and he's always faithful. And it becomes easier and easier to walk with him. Number two, the second thing that's at stake is our fellowship with one another. We can say it this way, I cannot give away what I do not have. I cannot give away what I do not have. This means we need each other. The Bible in Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Our thought lives were meant to uh, encourage each other and allow us to sharpen each other, as the Bible says, and push each other closer to Jesus. I'll tell you a story about a friend of mine, and it's going to illustrate two points. It's going to reveal that, this, that God can reveal the same truth differently to different people. In other words, we know that each of us are a finite expression of an infinite God, that we each reveal his character in a different way. But we also know that God speaks to us differently. He may reveal to Ryan that he loves him in a different way that he reveals that he loves me, but we both understand the fact that we are loved. The second thing this story is going to reveal is that we need each other. We need each other to have mind, a mind in love with God. Now, my friend uh, was a small group leader with me at Sam Houston. He was a soul winner. He walked with Jesus. I watched him uh, lead many men to Christ. Eventually, he would go and help to plant a Kyle at a different university in another state. After he had done that, he returned to Huntsville where we lived. And this, uh, this culminated in us sitting together at a service not unlike the one we're at tonight. But what had happened is over a year, a year and a half, he had neglected having a mind in love with God. In other words, he stopped spending time with Jesus. He wasn't reading the ornate books that were on his shelf. He was a lover of E. Stanley Jones. He had some really cool books. He stopped reading those books. He stopped spending time talking to Jesus. And it was slow but sure. But eventually what happened is it became evident in his actions as we talked about before. Those of us that knew him best saw that his, his countenance changed. The way he spoke changed. He was more easily angered. He was less fun to be around. So we fast forward to this service and we're sitting there and a missionary friend of ours is, is speaking. And here's what happened. We were sitting there and I can't tell you uh, after the first five minutes what our friend spoke. Because as we were sitting there, I watched my friend next to me weeping because the Lord was speaking to him. It turns out he had had a conversation with that missionary earlier that day. And here's what happened. It wasn't until he started thinking rightly again about God that he was able to see that his life, uh, to see his life in the light of the truth and reality that comes from Jesus. Once he started to think rightly, he could see all of the consequences of choosing to not have a mind that was in love with God. Now, I watched as he went to the altar that night, and afterwards we sat down to talk, and he revealed to me those truths. And he came up with a plan. We came up with a plan together. 
to put him back on track, to start to read, to start to spend time with Jesus. But here's what happened again. The, the Lord was using that sermon to speak to us two different things from what that one man was saying. And I turned to my friend with tears in my eyes and I showed, I showed him what I wrote in this journal. And I had stopped taking notes, remember, after the first five minutes. And I just wrote this. Tonight, the Lord answered my prayers. So there's some of us that for a year, a year and a half had been praying that he would have this realization. But here's what is evident that we needed each other. In that moment, the Lord revealed his character to me through my friend being vulnerable and talking to me about his struggle with the mind and love with God. I knew Jesus better because he was vulnerable with me. At the same time, he knew Jesus better because he understood that there had been people praying for him the whole time. But we see this, that we need each other. This fellowship here at ASU and our university here is the, it's going to uh, not go where we want it to in, unless we each commit to each other to have a mind that's in love with Jesus, to think thoughts rightly about God. If we want to change the world from this university and change the marketplace and change uh, America, the only place that we, we can start is in prayer and having a mind in love with Jesus. So the third thing that's at stake is this. It's our witness. We can't give a right picture of Jesus to a watching world if we don't have a mind that's in love with him. John 13 says it this way. Jesus says, by this that they will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. But we can't hope to love one another rightly if we don't first understand the perfect love that's offered to us through Jesus. So now that we know how great the stakes are, the question is, how do we start renewing our minds? I think the easiest place to start is reading. God has given us a gift of both easy access to education and information. You may not think of it this way, but it's a privilege to be at college. Most of the people in the world don't get that privilege. I may not have thought that way when I was in college, but I know now that you don't have to go to college, but you get to. If you are like me, maybe you grew up in high school or now in university, and you don't like it when people force you to read things you don't want to read. Maybe you're like me, and in an act of teenage rebellion, you, you chose not to read it. But here's what happens. That was actually at my own detriment. But it was only when I got to college that the Lord rekindled my love for reading. So tonight, if you don't like reading, if you think it's silly, you might need a new perspective on it. One of the most brilliant men to walk the face of the earth, his name is Winky Pratney. Now, Winky Pratney says this about reading. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. Winky says, reading develops the structuring, analyzing side of your mind. Good readers also become good writers and speakers. The same disciplines that help you read well also train you to share well with others. Reading for many young people is almost forgotten. Too often we rely on TV for information and enjoyment as a substitute for reading. All useful resources are welcome, but without reading, you cut out many vast learning opportunities including expanding your vocabulary and creativity. Here it is. If you are a leader, you need to read. If you are a leader, you need to read. My wonderful wife, who's an incredible teacher of elementary school, would tell you this is true of adults and it's also true of children. She could tell you that the, most, uh, the children that do the best in school are the children whose parents spend time reading with them at home. 
It starts so early, but people who would eventually become leaders who will be successful in life learn to read at a young age. So if we know that reading is important, the, the next question is, what should we be reading? And the first thing we know that we need to be reading, I think you know where this is going, is the Bible. The Bible is the most important book in human history. It's a manual for living godly life, including having a mind that's in love with Him. We say it's a book about everything. It talks about how to be lonely with a godly attitude. It talks about love. It talks about anger and jealousy. Do you want to know about investing money? The Bible can tell you. It talks about agriculture. It talks about how to be a good employee, how to do well where you work. It talks about what to do when you face failure. It talks about how to have the right attitude when you succeed. I could go on and on and on. And if you don't believe that any of those things are in there, I would challenge you to read the Bible and then prove me wrong. Winky, we're going to quote him twice. That's how much of a genius he is. Winky says this about the Bible. He says, the Bible is no ordinary book. It is a strangely different book because men who listened to the voice of God wrote it. The words they penned were more than human. They live like fire to each new generation, fresh as wind and pure as rain. The Bible is a unique record of man's problem and God's answer, the good news of salvation from sin through Jesus. Maybe you were lucky and you got to go to Scroggins' breakout session at Summit about how to study the Bible. I can tell you that I've known Scroggins for almost a decade, and as long as I've known him, he's been a Bible scholar. He studies the Bible, he reads the Bible, he teaches from the Bible. But some of those things he taught you in that session are things that were revealed to him just recently. He studied the Bible for so long, yet he's learned that it's a resource that will never be tapped fully. Throughout, it's a, a book that's been around for thousands of years, and we still don't understand its full potential. Here's where we're going. In order to use the Bible for all it's worth, we need to do this. We don't want to read the Bible to know about God. We want to read the Bible to get to know God. We don't want to read the Bible just to know facts about Jesus. We don't want to read the Bible to memorize Scripture for the sake of memorizing Scripture or to look smart or to, to look wise. We need to read the Bible to get to know God. Here's what happens when we do that. When we read the Bible to get to know God, we start to realize the kind of thoughts that God thinks. Do you ever wonder what God thinks about? We start to see the words that he himself uses. We start to see the things that he feels about situations. God feels deeply about the things that you and I deal with. But we only do this, we only see this when we, we do this. We read to realize we read to realize. It's not about facts. It's about getting to know a person. We talked about it earlier. Jesus is truth. If you want to get to know him, this is what we have to do. Number two, the second thing we can read are godly books. In other words, books penned by men and women who also have a walk with Jesus. Now, where we're going to focus tonight is what we call ODGs, or old dead guys or gals. Now, we also read current authors, okay? We, I obviously just quoted Winky Prattney a couple times. He's still alive. We love Tim Keller, Ravi Zacharias. Our wonderful friend Mary Gotro has just penned a book. So you may be asking, why old dead guys or gals? There, there's two reasons, okay? Here's the first reason, is that when we read people today, they will quote people who quote people who quote people. And what we see is that 
Them quoting that person makes me want to go back and read that person. It may go all the way back to a G.D. Watson or an R.A. Torrey. When C.S. Lewis talks about George MacDonald in his writing, it's, he makes him sound so wonderful that I can't help but go read George MacDonald. The second thing we know is that all of these people have gone to be with Jesus, which means that they ran their race well. They didn't just write these things down. They lived them until their last dying breath. That is why the information contained in those books is so eternally valuable. The other thing we know is we don't want to read just one author, right? If each of us is in a finite expression of an infinite God, then so these authors are the same way. God has revealed a different piece of his character to each of them. We have a, a friend who's a, a big part of the reason that the Sam Houston Kaiapha has done so well. He's ministered there. And a couple times I got to go and sit in his house. He lived in a small house uh, in Houston where he took care of his elderly mother. And we would sit in this tiny room, I'm telling you, tiny room full of books. And he'd look at us like 18 wide, wide-eyed kids and he would say, Last week I was hanging out with C.S. Lewis. And he was telling me all of these wonderful things about God. And we're like, you like see people looking around like, does he know C.S. Lewis died like, so, like in the 60s? And he starts to talk about all of these guys, Ravenhill and G.D. Watson. And these guys, because he would sit down and read these books and these people would come alive to him. And he would see the piece of God's heart, God's character that was gifted to them. And he would be able to think rightly uh, and think thoughts. If you're like me, uh, you're not anywhere close to being as wise as some of these people who wrote these books. In other words, they are thinking more extravagant and brilliant thoughts about God than I could ever hope to with my own intellect. Their, uh, their walk with God helps spur on or uh, give a catalyst to my walk with God and my hope to have a mind in love with Him. This is cool. Uh, I have a cool opportunity tonight. This isn't going to happen very many more times probably in my life. But tonight... This, uh, we see an, this evident that this also should go hand in hand with discipleship. It's transgenerational. So tonight, there's a man in the house whose name is Josh. Now, Josh was, there you go. Josh was my small group leader, okay? Now, Josh and guys like Scroggins, who are around when I first got to college, taught me a lot about walking with Jesus they taught me how to love others. They taught me uh, how to say no to the apathy that had consumed my life from high school. But they also showed me how to have a mind in love with God. They didn't just have bookshelves full of books, but they read them and they talked about them. And they always were carrying them around. Josh would gift me books like Humility by Andrew Murray, Destined for the Throne by a man uh, named Paul Bilheimer. That book changed my life. And here's what happened, is they walked alongside me as I learned to cultivate a mind in love with God. Here's why this is so cool tonight as well. There's a man in the house named Richard. Now, Richard is going to join us in November, praise God, and his wife-to-be. Now, Richard was in my small group, and I can tell you that Richard is now more godly than I will ever be. He is like what you hope for in a small group guy. We always hope that the people in our small group will turn out far better than we could ever be. And I can tell you that that's Richard. But I got to be a part of Richard's journey to have a mind in love with God. Those same books that Josh gave me, I gave to him. And I got to watch as well as the years past Richard do that for other people. To cultivate these things. This goes hand in hand. Because having a mind in love with Jesus is so important, it is integral. It's intertwined with discipleship. 
I'd be foolish if I told you that uh, reading was the only way that we could have a mind in love with God. We also know that listening to sermons, listening to podcasts, listening to things of eternal value is uh, wise as well. If you're looking for something to listen to, I mean, literally any sermon preached by Pastor Landon here at the church is incredible. He's a wise, wise man who walks with Jesus. If you didn't know, Scroggins has a podcast. You can check it out. Maybe you'd be in your car, or if you're like me, doing dishes or doing chores in your house, and you could throw on a sermon of one of your favorite preachers. But here's the catch. Technology can either be a tool or it can be a crutch. And I could spend an entire sermon just preaching about that. So I urge you to be careful. Technology has gifted us with so much information. We can go to places like sermonindex.net and grab, uh, listen to some of the greatest sermons ever preached. But also the, the enemy uses technology so often to take our thoughts far from the things of Jesus, to distract us, or even worse, to have us think opposite thoughts to those that Jesus thinks. So here's what we're going to do tonight. What we're going to do tonight, real quick, is we're going to give away some books, okay? That's how important we think this is. The reason we do this is because we know that these are eternally valuable, and having a mind in love with Jesus is important. So the first book I'm going to give away is, is written by a man named A.W. Tozer, and it's called The Pursuit of God. The Pursuit of God. This book is incredible, and it's wonderful. And if you would like this book, I would like you to raise your hand, but I'm going to pick Beth because she raised her hand super quick. So this is yours, but you have to read it, okay? Second book we're going to give away. Uh, this book, I, I've read this book like four times in the last two years. I read it with my small group almost every year. It's called A Tale of Three Kings. And it's written by a man named Gene Edwards. <laughs> and it's an incredible book. And it's the story of David and Saul and then David and Absalom. But if, you're, uh, if you are, it's not a hard book to read. It's a quick read. But if you pay attention, the Lord is going to speak some important things to you. So if you raise your, I'm going to give it to you, sir, all the way in the back. It's you. It's you. You have to read it. You have to read it. Okay. Now we're going to do one more. This book, uh, if you're a small group leader and you want this book, it would be wise. Some of us named Skylar are already reading it. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Okay. If you want to know how to lead a small group, this is literally a book about how Jesus led small group. Okay. Sam. All right. Master Plan of Evangelism, you have to read it. All right. So why, why did those people, if you're here and you're like, I don't care about those books, why did those people raise their hands? We know this, that God is looking for people who are hungry for more of him. God often hides himself until we are truly hungry and ready to put the truth we've learned into practice. We see this in Matthew in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Again, in Psalm 9, it says, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Here's something that's so important for us tonight. Now that we've talked about having a mind in love with God and learning more about him and his character and who he is, we know this, that understanding equals responsibility. Understanding equals responsibility. 
The more we understand God, the more he reveals himself to us, the more responsibility we have. But here's the thing, because God loves us and he's gracious, he, uh, you, you're probably sitting there and you're wondering, he just said that God hides himself. Why, why would God hide himself and why wouldn't he give himself freely to everyone? Well, here's the reason. It's because he's a good God. And he has a way of making us not be more guilty than we need to be. In other words, if your heart is already saying, me first, why give you more truth to reject and thus make you more guilty than you already are? See, God is a good God. But here's what we know. If you are hungry for him, he will reveal himself. It's a proven fact. But here's the thing. We then have the responsibility to put our thoughts about him into action. It's not hard to to read the Bible and to see uh, God's call for us to love each other written across every page. It's not hard to see it. But so often, you and I, I include myself, don't put it into practice. You see, it's an idea that we've learned. It's a, a, a piece of God's heart that he's revealed to us, yet we haven't put it into practice. We know that these thoughts have to lead to actions if we're going to be responsible to the things that God is teaching us. As we move towards a close, I'll invite the worship team to come. I think this is what we need to do tonight. I think some of us need to admit that we haven't been thinking right thoughts about Jesus. That we don't really have a mind that's in love with him. Or honestly, maybe you would say that you don't even think about him often at all. Because we are so busy thinking about ourselves. I think some of us need to learn to have a real devotional life. God is asking us to learn to make time for what we care about. If you say that you care about the things of God's heart, then it's time to make time to spend your, as much time as you can with him. Spend time talking to him, getting alone to hear from him. We just had Father Adam come and speak to our leadership. I would encourage you, Father Adam is the head of the Catholic Student Center on campus And he's a godly man. He talked to us about what it looks like to get alone and to listen to Jesus. If you see him on campus, I'd encourage you to say hi to him. He's not hard to spot. He's the only man wearing a robe. But he's he's godly, okay? We see this, that reading his word, reading these good books we've talked about, listening to people who are wiser than we are, in order to cultivate our thoughts, to, to hold every thought captive, to invite Jesus into every part of your life, we need to learn to cultivate a devotional life. I think other, others of us, we already have a devotional life that has helped us to get to know and understand God more. But we haven't been responsible for what he's taught us. I think we need to be obedient to the things that he's asked us to do. Maybe you're here tonight and you would say you don't think that you've heard the voice of God recently. Sometimes we feel like this because God has asked you to do something. Maybe the Holy Spirit would put his finger on it right now. But he asks you to do something and he's patiently waiting there for you to come back and to be obedient. So maybe tonight you'd come spend some time with Jesus at the altar to help him, ask him to help you remember those things that he's asked of you so that we could be responsible, we could be obedient to the things God is revealing to us. Let's do this. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray and then we're going to have some time to spend with Jesus. You're welcome to come to the altar. We're going to sing, but I encourage you, if you felt the Holy Spirit pricking your heart in one of those three areas, to spend time seeking the Lord. So I'm going to pray, 
And we're going to sing and then I'll come and close us and give us some further instruction afterwards. Jesus, we love you. Thank you. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us if we're hungry. Jesus, we thank you for giving us the ability to think rightly about you. Jesus, that you want to explain your heart. Jesus, that you want to show us more of you always. Thank you that you've given us easy access to these things. You've given us avenues to study the word of God, to study capital T truth, to get to know truth as a person in you, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to be disciplined. Would you teach us to have a mind that is in love with you? Jesus, we're grateful for the things that you're teaching us even now. Would you help us to be attentive as you speak through worship tonight? We love you, Jesus.